0: And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. In the name of Jesus, amen. One of my favorite professors at seminary was a man named Thomas and We called him uh, the man devil because that's what his name means in German, the Teufel. <laughs> he probably wasn't many students' favorite, I'm guessing. There was nothing too, nothing too flashy uh, about him. If I remember correctly, he always seemed to wear suits that were a little, a little too large, and he, he moved kind of stiffly, which made him easy to, uh, to caricature at the, uh, at the various events we'd have with students. I don't think he wrote any books, at least not that, that I'd read or had many uh, journal articles. He mostly taught introductory courses. He was a rather pedestrian preacher. You know, and some professors professors would preach. The chapel attendance would swell, but not so much with the man-devil. Uh, but this, this is how he became my favorite. Uh, one day in class, it happened more than once, but one, one day in class, uh, somebody asked a question. It wasn't me. I don't remember what the question was. But I remember his, his response. He said, that's a very good question, and I don't know the answer to it. I'll see if I can find out. And then that evening, uh, when I was leaving the library at about uh, 11 p.m., uh, I saw Dr. Manteufel in the basement of the library. He's actually the only professor I ever saw in the library actually studying. He was there with a big stack of books, taking notes. His eyesight wasn't very good, so he was down like this. Um, disregarding the the notes over the speaker, telling him the library was going to close. He was studying and looking for the answer, an answer which evidently he didn't actually find because the next day when he came to class, he said, that was such a good question that I wasn't able to find uh, the answer, but this is what I came up with and gave us that. Uh, Again, I don't remember the question. I don't remember the stuff that he came up with. What I remember is that humble honesty I mean, he could have bowled us over with some uh, uh, some Latin phraseology. He could have maneuvered the question, as professors sometimes do, into an area that was more comfortable answering and made himself look good. But no. Instead, he just said, in his oversized suit, "I don't know." That impressed me then, and it's impressed me more as I've gotten older. Uh, maybe coming to mind now because I think uh, perhaps now. At least from my vantage point, we live, we very much do not live in a time of I don't knows and I'm not sure. Uh, If a politician perhaps were to be asked a question on one of the uh, difficult issues of the day and if he or she were to respond, you know, that's a really good question. I kind of go back and forth on it sometimes. Um, I'm going to talk to some different people, maybe on different sides of the view, but I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to give you a, a straight answer on that. Uh, uh, probably wouldn't get elected. Wouldn't hear that in the first place. And it's probably the probably the same with, with a lot of us in many ways. Especially when it comes to the more difficult issues of the day. One friend of mine calls them the CPR issues. Probably because after entering into a conversation of one, you feel like you need it. CPR stands for COVID, politics, and race relations. Complicated issues. But still... Still, not uh, many I don't knows or uh, I'm not sure when they come up. Actually, it could just be me, but it actually seems to me that the more complicated an issue, the more likely that they're to be presented as these are unassailable facts. And anyone who disagrees with, with them or can't see that is either evil, stupid, or ignorant, and perhaps all three. In terms of social media stuff, anyway, there's, there's an easy explanation for that. Just like I don't knows, don't get politicians' votes, I'm not sure, doesn't get reads or reposts or algorithmic priority on the page. But still I wonder about that self-assuredness and certainty. I'm not so sure that below the surface everyone is as certain as they pretend to be. Full disclosure, I am not, which is perhaps why the man-devil was one of my favorite professors. Of course, this should be said, too, being unsure is no virtue. But admitting it is a lot better than pretending you're certain uh, when you're not, which is exactly my hypothesis. That we live in a time, maybe it's all times, but especially now where a lot of people feel the need to fake it, to nod along and fake how certain they are about everything. At least until something happens. At least until, until something's happened, something happens, perhaps some, some overwhelming event that has a way of uh, dragging your doubt to the surface, that makes it hard to keep up the facade of absolute certainty. Uh, it could be a lot of things, but maybe maybe something overwhelming, something crazy, like your child is suffering, and you can't do anything to help him. Like Mark chapter 7, I brought my son to you. I brought my son to you, my sick, my demon-possessed son, and I don't know if he's going to make it and your disciples can't do a thing. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus cries out, how long do I have to put up with you? Undeterred, desperate, the man laid bare by his circumstances, but if you can do anything, Lord, help us. If you can, replies Jesus. All things are possible for the one Who believes, and then that great response, that honest response, the response that bespeaks all the I don't know's and I'm not sure, I believe, help my unbelief. So refreshing, those words. At least they are to me. Refreshing, the same way that much of Scripture is, because you're gonna read them and say to yourself, I'm not alone. What you're thinking, what you're feeling, you're not the only one. Sure, there are people out there who are absolutely certain about everything, but I am not one of them. And if you aren't either, then you probably like this guy's response, I believe, help my unbelief. That is, I kind of believe, but then I kind of don't. I believe on Tuesdays, but on Wednesdays I'm not so sure. It's kind of up in the air for me. Which again, per my hypothesis, is what lies below a lot of our publicly accessible surfaces all the things we have doubts and questions about and they are legion the cpr then there's abstract things the sort of you know uh, sophomore year of seminary questions what about the pre-columbian uh, native americans did jesus care about them which isn't really as abstract as it sound because usually behind that question is well if jesus didn't care about them how can i be certain that he cares about me Or maybe more concrete things. Maybe things that only you know. Maybe things that are brought up by a text like we read today. Jesus, why do kids get sick anyway? And heck, it was nice for that guy in Mark chapter 7 for his kid to get the, uh, the miraculous healing, but what about all the children that don't? So many doubts, so many questions, and you have your own. So many questions and doubts that go unvoiced. In my case, often partly unvoiced, because one of my uncertainties Is what it's okay to be uncertain about. And again, not a good thing. And it's not that our our doubts or just these doubting, uncertain people or those those things are without remedy. What did the man-devil do? He went to the library and he studied. He studied and he thought and he prayed and he kept thinking. Too many of us never think. But what amounts to the same thing? We only talk to people who think just like we do. So our questions and doubts are not without remedy, but reality. The remedy, this side of eternity, is only partial. We see through a glass darkly. In the verses just before our text, St. Peter and the gang, they completely whiff, completely get it wrong on who Jesus is and what he's about. You will have questions and you will have doubts, and some of them will be big and some of them will be burdensome, which is why we love this guy. This poor man cutting through all the bravado because he sounds like us. I believe. Help my unbelief. Will you do that? Will you help me with my unbelief? How about we make a deal and I help you if you help me? Whether you realize it or not, that's one of the things we're doing here this morning. We're helping each other. There are people here this morning who are feeling super strong and certain about everything. I've asked them to sit on this side of this. No, just kidding. (laughs) But then there are other people who don't know which way is up. Or which way is down? Or maybe they thought they were last week because you switch sides to be a fun thing to do. If you're feeling good, sit on this side, not so good, sit on the other side. Uh, Christians like to, to talk about uh, sharing the faith. It's one of the things we're supposed to do. And usually when we, when we say that, I think uh, they mean uh, telling folks outside the church about Jesus. But share the faith is also what we do uh, with each other. In fact, I think maybe it'd be better if we thought of that term, share the faith, in the same way we might think of the term like share the housework or uh, uh, share the driving if you're going on a long trip or share the burden. Uh, Faith, not so much something we all do individually, but a thing we do together. So that one person gets worn down or punched in the gut by life or by death. Someone else comes along. Someone else in in better shape at that particular moment. Maybe like if you saw someone at the airport struggling with a suitcase and you'd say, let me share that lifting with you. The person says, let me help you with that. Let me share the faith. Share the burden of carrying the faith. And we do that. Uh, Just like the other kind of sharing the faith, oftentimes we do without even knowing it. Example, last week, I asked him if I could talk about him. Dan Bellick. he shared the faith with me. He came in uh, before the service and uh, said something a lot of people say. He said, it's no fun getting old. To which I responded with the what I thought was correct response, saying, yeah, you know, all the, the aches and pains that, that go along with that. Uh, to which he answered quickly and rather aggressively, no, I don't mean that. I mean the devil. The devil works harder on you the older you get which was great wisdom, which is something the Holy Spirit must have known that I needed to hear. I needed to hear my older brother in the faith sharing the faith with me, sharing the the realization of that burden so that I could know that I was not alone. We need to share the faith. Helping another in the midst of these doubts and uncertainties is a big part of the reason that we need to be here bodily. Because we all need to be within earshot of those with whom we share the faith. I can't help you carry your suitcase virtually. I'm glad we have technology and streaming of the service, but a stream is far from ideal. We need to be present with one another, confessing the faith to one another, the weak to the strong, the strong to the weak. You know, we're going to confess a creed after the sermon. We do it every week, and and, uh, we usually say, I believe, but the original form of that creed, maybe some of you that knew this, is, we believe. We'd say, we believe in one God. We'll actually confess it that way after the sermon this week. It began, we believe and probably still should. So some Sunday when you come in and your eye is not feeling it, you can rely on me and I can rely on you. We believe because faith, faith especially in a time when doubts and uncertainties come come so easily, faith is too hard to do on your own. We have to share the faith. And then there's Jesus. There's Jesus for whom all things are possible. When I read those words from the the reading today, Jesus saying all things are possible for the one who believes. You probably thought that Jesus was telling this poor man, man, if you just have a little teeny bit of faith, then your son will get better. If you, man, believe your son will get better, but that's not what Jesus is saying. The one who believes is not the man. All things are possible for the one who believes. The one who believes is Jesus. That man stinks at faith, just like you do. Jesus had just told him all that. He said, oh, unbelieving generation, he can't do a thing. But Jesus says, take heart, you doubter. Take heart, you one with uncertainties and doubts and all that. Take heart, you who has trouble believing. Take heart, for I am the one who believes. 2 Timothy 2.13, when we can't believe or without faith, he is faithful. He's full of faith. We say it every week. 1 John 1.9, when we confess our sins, our doubts, our uncertainties, he is faithful. He's faithful, full of faith and righteous on our behalf. All things are possible for this Jesus, the great white rider of Revelation 19, who when the world goes nuts and we go nuts, with it is named what? Faithful and true. How long will I put up with you unbelieving people, says Jesus? You know the answer. It's why you're here. Evidently, a very long time. He'll put up with us as far as the nails and the cross and the empty tomb, as long as it takes until you rest in his arms. Last Wednesday, a devotional I sometimes read included this line. The archetypical Christian is not a person who looks like Jesus but a person who looks like she needs Jesus. A Christian is not someone who believes like Jesus, who never has doubts or uncertainties. Christians are people who need Jesus, who need other Christians, precisely because half the time we don't know what we believe, precisely because we stink at faith, we need a faithful Jesus. And we have one. Through all the doubts and uncertainties, the questions, and everything else, we have one. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.